Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Patty, how are you this week? I am positively fantastic, Gary. I could not be better, you know? We now have a date in mind for, well, first of all, opening up the gyms, which is, you know, fantastic. You know, that's really enjoyable for our business, at least, you know, and obviously, you know, our exercise habits. I, I do enjoy frequenting a gym and i know you have a full setup out your back garden now so you don't really need that um but also just having the world open again that's it's gonna be quite nice i like going to restaurants i like you know talking to people being able to shake people's hands you know i I enjoy that stuff right um what about you i'm very good although i have seen certain people propose that handshakes just never return which Absolutely not. I will be forcefully shaking people's hands when I see them. So, yeah, I literally, don't want to live in- I literally touch people so much in, in a non weird way. Well, probably. <laughs> um, like, I literally, I don't know, it's just what I do. Like, I literally have to fist bump people, touch them on the shoulder, yeah. do whatever, hugs, everything. So, look, I'm fucked. Yeah, don't want to live in that kind of world. But anyway. But just before we get into that, the only thing that's yes. really annoying me is the fact that we don't have a timeline for jujitsu. Like, when are we getting our. Our jiu-jitsu, our contact sports back. Yeah, this is the problem because they kind of say, like, it'll be introduced like, oh, indoor training is viable now. But it's like, okay, indoor training. And then it'll be like, oh, but, you know, social distancing applies. It's like, what What exactly do you mean? How do we do the jiu-jitsu with social distancing? So, yeah, they've got to they've gotta get on that. You know, res- wrestling falls into that category as well. But wrestling isn't really a thing in Ireland, is it? So, yeah. This podcast is generally a health and fitness podcast, so we might focus on that. And we have been discussing fat loss, okay, off the back end of our obesity series. We're talking more specifically about fat loss and all of the metabolic processes that relate to that. Last last week, we did an introduction to calories, and we touched briefly on some of the aspects of energy metabolism or energy expenditure. And in this podcast, we want to dig into that a little bit more and explore some of those nuances that you may not have thought of before, and that might hopefully help you uh, understand why or why not, uh, or why or why you are not making progress. Hundred percent. And this this is one of those things where the reason we're doing this podcast is because there's actually so much we call it misinformation around metabolism, and this is both in terms of um, what we call them science educators from one perspective but also just the lay people right because when i talk about metabolism like i talk about it from the perspective of someone that likes biochemistry has a degree in biochemistry does all that stuff but that's not necessarily like say for example like protein metabolism that's not the same metabolism word that the average person is using to describe what you know they think metabolism is you know so it's kind of the first thing we have to get out of the way is like the actual definition of metabolism, because the way people use it, the way people communicate, like we're going to use it in the way people communicate it. And I say, it's like, you know, a fault on behalf of like science communicators, but I'm not saying that we're exempt from that. Like we use it the same way. It's just, it's not really accurate. And this leads to a lot of misconceptions, which again, it's not the, the fault of the, the lay person who's trying to understand this stuff, or even the personal trainer, you know, the doctor or whoever it's like, it's, it's just poorly communicated the words get a little bit jumbled and therefore the downstream stuff that is, you know, or we say the upstream stuff, I suppose that's actually influencing metabolism is then poorly understood because 
people don't really understand what metabolism actually is, right? So I'm going to call this podcast, you know, like whatever, an introduction to metabolism or understanding metabolism or something like that, because ultimately that's what we need to understand if we do want to elicit the fat loss adaptations that we want, right? So you're looking to lose 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 pounds, whatever it is, you still have to have a fundamental understanding of metabolism because you need that understanding to implement both diet strategies and training strategies, right? And obviously lifestyle strategies fall under, well, those two fall under lifestyle strategies as well, right? So you need to know what you're actually talking about with this stuff if you actually want to impact the change that you want to see, right? So what is metabolism, right? So I'll just give you a definition. It's probably one of the better definitions that I found because I was looking through a few different definitions, you know, Cambridge Dictionary, fucking little online dictionaries, you know, Wikipedia, blah, blah, blah. But this one that I found, I can't even remember where I found it. Um, it, It was quite good in terms of capturing what metabolism actually is, right? So it's the sum and the physical, if I could speak even, the sum of the physical and chemical processes in an organism by which its material substance is produced, maintained, and destroyed, and by which energy is made available, right? And that might seem a little bit long-winded, but if you think about it, again, you go to your average person and, you know, they're talking about, oh, like, you know, Mary down the road, she has a fast metabolism. So it's really easy for her to lose weight. And then you talk to, they're like, oh, and Joe up the road, like he just has a slow metabolism. You know, he finds it really hard to lose weight, right? That's what we're talking about when we talk about metabolism. We're talking about, you know, effectively people's ease of losing weight. That's how like the vast majority of people talk about metabolism, but that's not really what metabolism actually is, right? And as we get through this podcast, you'll actually see that a lot of those sayings that people talk about in terms of like oh mary there has a fast metabolism or slow metabolism or whatever it's actually completely incorrect right and when you actually consider what's going on right so again we'll just break that kind of apart so it's the sum of the physical and chemical processes in an organism right so just think about that really straightforward that's all the stuff you know we're moving you know your your cells are moving your cells are doing like a we call them biochemical processes, you know, enzymes are working, you know, your blood is pumping, your heart, your organs are working, you know, all, all of the processes that go on into making you alive. And if you remember last week, I went off on a tangent in talking about, you know, chaos and order and stuff, but like, think about all of those different processes that actually allow you to be alive, right? If one of those processes was to just stop working, you would either severely be impacted, right? You know, say, I don't know, a certain enzyme just stopped working. Now you're not able to I don't know, digest milk now, you know, it might be a fairly innocuous one, but it might be someone, it might be an enzyme that's pretty important, like, I don't know, a kinase or something. And now all of a sudden you can't you know, make energy, right? So all of those processes that go on, they, they are supported by energy, right? So all of those processes, they require energy of some sort, right? So that's what it is. Those, the physical and chemical processes in an organism, think of all of those processes, right? And then to add further to that, it's like, by which material substance is produced. So you think again, like uh, protein expression, like so you're trying to build some muscle, like that's something that is being produced, right? So you get muscle fibers, all the stuff that goes along with that, you know, the all the cellular stuff that goes along with that, um, the process of building muscle, right? And then obviously like, you know, digesting the food, which we'll, we'll kind of get to in a second. Um, maintained as well so the further to that statement is like by which material substance is produced so we think of like muscle building maintained so even if you're not 
actively building muscle, you know, you still have to maintain that structure, right? And that's the same for all your organs. That's the same for all the processes, like the cells that you have, like they're not the cells that you were born with, right? Like, they, well, they, they kind of are because they were copied, like they were photocopied, but they're not the exact same cells, right? So the cells that you currently have, they have to be maintained and they have to be, you know, maybe they need certain nutrients to do their jobs. Maybe they get a little bit damaged. Like you go out into the sun, you get some like ultraviolet radiation on your skin. You get a bit of a, you know, a sunburn, you know, and that's the cells kind of effectively dying, right? Especially if you get like skin peeling and stuff like your cells are, are dead, you know, and obviously this again, like you can get cancer, et cetera, you know, the story with sun, <laughs> but like that, that kind of thing, like those cells, they need to be maintained. They need to keep the integrity of those cells. They need to keep those processes, There's energy input into keeping those processes ticking along, et cetera. Right. And then also further to that statement and destroyed, right? So by which material substance is produced, maintained and destroyed, right? So it also requires energy a lot of times to break down different cellular machinery, different like a uh, physical machinery. Like you need to break down muscle sometimes um, to, you know, it's damaged or something. You need to get rid of it. That all requires energy, right? And sometimes like, like the reason it requires energy, even though the universe wants to trend towards that breakdown, the reason it requires energy is because your body doesn't want it to just haphazardly break down. It wants to be like, right, we need to get rid of this exact thing. Like you think of like uh, the process of like say apoptosis, you know, like how your toes and fingers were like, you know, the, the webbing in between those that was targeted, taken down, that was targeted, destroyed, right? It wasn't just like, oh yeah, look, we might lose five fingers here. Well, four fingers, you might lose four fingers in this process, but at least we got rid of the webbing. You know, it's like, no, that's not the way it works. It's not just haphazard destroying. It's very clear. We're going to destroy these cells. They're going to be tagged for destruction. And this is how the process is going to go. Right. And like, obviously you don't really remember that, but if anyone has had wisdom teach, like you've actually experienced that process, right. Which is obviously kind of weird to think about as well, because, you know, like you think of like, does a, you know, the child in the womb feel its fingers being kind of like, you know, differentiated. And like, if you think of like, when you get wisdom teeth, like you get this, your teeth come up in the back and, and then obviously like, there's like a, a flap of skin kind of over them or around them or whatever, like your body in some cases, like obviously sometimes you just like bite it off or whatever, you know, but in a lot of the time, like your body kind of apoptoses that and that can't, like, you don't really feel that, you know, it's like, you don't really feel the skin just being like slowly broken down or the skin or whatever it is the the tissue in your gums being slowly broken down and, you know, taken back up into your body, slowly destroyed, etc. Right. So you don't really feel that, but it does require energy and it is a targeted process. It's not just haphazard. Right. Um, and then also the final part of that statement is, and by which energy is made available. So this also encompasses like all the, the, the metabolic processes that allow you to break down food, you know, that's the digestion, the assimilation, you know, bringing it to the, the mitochondria, then the whole like Krebs cycle, mitochondrial oxidative, oxidative phosphorylation, all that kind of stuff. Like they all require energy to either move stuff around or to carry these energy around, these energy units around, etc. Right. So that's what metabolism is, and that's obviously like a fairly fucking long-winded explanation. And you kind of be like, you're, you're, you might be kind of thinking like, what does that actually have to do with what people say on the road? You know, like surely, if it's just the kind of like chemical and physical processes like how does someone have a fast metabolism or a slow metabolism like are they breaking down cells more are they producing more cells are they maintaining more cells like what's going on right and that's kind of what we want to touch on in this podcast we want to actually dive a little bit deeper with that right but before i go on does that make make a lot of sense gary it does yes sir 
fantastic, right? So when we're talking about metabolism, the, the easiest way to break this down is into, and we did it in the last episode, we, we touched on this, um, but it's to break it down into, we'll call it three categories, right? The first one is, um, it's often called DIT or TEF uh, or DIT or TEF, which is dietary induced thermogenesis or the thermic effect of feeding. Um, and this accounts for roughly 10% of the calories that you burn in a day, right? So if we think of it as a number, like that metabolism, right? That number metabolism, someone has a fast metabolism. We can put a number on that. We'll say that fast metabolism, it's 3000 calories, right? That's, that's what they burn. That's what their fast metabolism burns, right? And then you see someone else and you go, oh, they have a slow metabolism. And we'll put a number on that. It's 1500, right? It's 1500, right? Like what goes into those numbers, right? So you've got the 3000 here, you've got the 1500 here, right? Like what, what makes up those numbers, right? Well, about 10% of that number, that metabolism, that metabolic number here that we're, we're defining, about 10% of that goes or is contributed from either the thermic effect of feeding, or I should say the thermic effect of feeding contributes 10% to that, right? And that is what we said back in that initial definition, you know, it's the energy is made available, right? So this, the digestion, the, you know, assimilation, the moving around of all these energy units, all that kind of stuff, right? That goes into that thermic effect of feeding. So when you eat food, you have to effectively, you know, pay the piper, you have to put forth some energy to get more energy in return, right? And this is why you often hear people talk about like negative calorie foods, right? Or they often say like, you know, fiber sometimes is said to have negative calories because it takes more from you. Like say people always say like celery, it's like, oh, it's a negative calorie food because it already has very low calories because it's like 99% water. And then the other 1% is just really fibrous stuff um, that it, you still have to try to break down and as a result, you spend a load of energy, you know, you secrete digestive juices, secrete enzymes, you know, bile acid production, blah, 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 all the kind of normal digestive processes go on and you spend all this energy, but you don't get a lot in return, right? So some foods, they have a higher thermic effect of feeding because they require more energy to break down. And one of them is protein. And we'll, we'll touch on that later on as well, right? So that's about 10% of your overall metabolism, right? Does that make sense, Gary? Yep. Fantastic. Then the next number is your, we'll call it your activity thermogenesis, right? And this is your exercise activity thermogenesis and then your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, right? And I know a lot of people who are listening to this, they're into their health and fitness. They probably understand this pretty intuitively. For most people, this accounts for 20 to 30% of their metabolism, right? Now, obviously, look, if you don't exercise and you don't walk around, you don't do anything like that, you know, it probably is a, a lower number. However, that's not always the case it doesn't work exactly how you would think it does because you still have to burn some energy and other processes down regulate if you're not you know exercising you don't have a recovery demand etc we'll get into that kind of stuff in a second right but in the general population 20 to 30 percent right that's how much that's contributing so we have that individual who you know three thousand calories and we have that individual one thousand five hundred calories right the individual that is burning through 3000 calories, that's their metabolism, like about 20 to 30% of that is coming from their either their exercise directly, you know, maybe they do three to four exercise sessions per week, you know, resistance training, some cardiovascular work, like that's burning a sediment of calories, right? And if you have any like, you know, activity tracking watch, you can see this in real time, you can go in do your gym session, do your training session, you can see that your body burns calories, right? Like it's, it's fairly intuitive, right? 
And then also if you're tracking those things, you know, uh, when you're doing your walk uh, or just moving around, like that's your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And again, you burn calories doing that as well, right? So that again accounts for 20 to 30%. And there's some really interesting, cool things that we'll talk about in future episodes in terms of like, can you effectively just keep adding calories or can you effectively like keep doing calories from this stuff, you know, keep burning more calories. Like, can you get like a, a really revving metabolism by just doing more activity, right? And it's, it's a little bit more nuanced than that, but we'll, we'll cover that in a future episode, right? And then the big one, the, the Mac Daddy of it all, because you're thinking, you listen to that and you go, okay, well, that's 10% from the thermic effect of feeding and you go 20 to 30%, depending on the population, depending on their activity. It's like, that's 20 to 30% from, you know, exercise and you know non-exercise stuff like walking around fidgeting that kind of stuff right so that's depending on who we're talking about that's either 30 to 40 percent overall where's the rest coming from where's the 60 to 70 percent right and that is your basically your basal metabolic rate and we touched on this in the last podcast like this is the stuff well even just going back to that initial definition that i just gave like this is all that stuff that i just covered there it's all the you know cellular processes it's all the stuff that's required to just keep you alive you know like if you were to do absolutely nothing, like your heart still beats, you know, your blood still gets pumped around your body, the enzymes and stuff in your body, they still work, right? Like your eyesight still works, right? Like your skin still works, like all of those organs, like your hair still grows, you know, like all of that stuff, like your toenails still grow, your fingernails still grow, your, I don't know, saliva glands still secrete saliva, you know, like all of those things still go on, even if you are just sitting in a bed, even if you are just bed bound, right? And this is your kind of like, basal metabolic rate however like even though this this is a, a more we'll call it a static number there is actually a lot of nuance in this right and that's what we're going to touch on in this podcast because a lot of people get it into their head they're like okay look if we match for calories right we're like we match for calories we match for the macronutrients in the diet and then we also match for you know exercise like we both have two individuals they weigh the same like this is again like one of the impetuses for this podcast or the recording of this podcast was because a lot of times you see people in the health and fitness world they try to compare themselves to others you know and this is might be you know a clients come to us for example like when we start with a client we might ask them like you know what are your goals what are you aspiring towards you know and we're trying to really like dig deeper with those individuals and they might say like oh, I want to look like this person. They might show us a physique on Instagram or someone they follow, right? They might be like, oh, I want to look like this. You know, I'm roughly the same weight as them or height as them or whatever, right? There's some sort of comparison going on, right? And then invariably throughout the process, you might find they go, oh, well, this person, we're the same weight. They say they're eating 3,000 calories and I'm eating 1,500, you know? Like, what's the story there? You know, and you're like, I'm the same weight. We seem to do the same activity. You know, like the, I seem to get my 10,000 steps. That's what they say they get. Then we also seem to, you know, they do four gym sessions per week. I do four gym sessions per week, you know, and there's a lot of comparison going on. And you're like, how are these two metabolisms so different? And again, this is where we get this differentiation of like people saying like, oh, this person has a slow metabolism and this person has a fast metabolism, right? And there are some other things that we will touch on in future podcasts, like adaptive metabolism or, and stuff like that. But just for right now, we'll just forget about that stuff, right? So why is there this difference? Now, a lot of that difference comes down to the BMR, right? Now, obviously some of the difference comes down to, you know, the thermic effect of feeding, like you're not actually eating the exact same food, even though you think you are, like there is differences or there are differences, you know, depending on where it's grown, depending on the season, etc. right? Like you might be com comparing yourself to someone in, 
the Southern hemisphere. And when it's winter for you, it's summer for them. Like obviously it's different foods, like there's different food produced, et cetera. Right. So there are differences there, but let's just say that's one, 2%. Like it's not a huge amount. Right. There are obviously differences in terms of your exercise and your like non-exercise stuff. Like even though you say you go to the gym four times per week, like they might train like a fucking savage during those four gym sessions. And you might be like, yeah, I'm ticking the boxes with my four gym sessions. Like they're over there squatting 200 kilos for eight reps, you know, nearly fucking busting their eyeballs out. And you're over here going like, oh yeah, I got my, you know, 60 kilos uh, squat in for seven reps and it was yeah I, I kept about 12 in reserve you know it's like there, there's differences there as well right now obviously it doesn't necessarily need to be that dramatic but you get the point there are obviously differences there but let's assume everything's equal right there clearly has to be a difference in this bmr number and this is where people start thinking they're like oh well i either have a fucked up metabolism just by virtue of something um or i don't you know it's it's one or the other right? This person obviously has a great metabolism. This Their basal metabolic rate is just through the roof. Like I could never get to that stage, right? Now, obviously that's not entirely true. In some cases it is. Like, again, we've talked about it before and it's the classic one that everyone always goes to. Like if you have a thyroid condition, obviously there are differences here. And we'll touch on that later on in the podcast as well, but that's a, a rarer case, right? And also we can't discuss disease population because if you have like hypothyroidism like that is a disease effectively it's an illness anyway and so we need to not you know focus on the minors when we need to focus on the majority of people because i guarantee you the majority of people don't have a thyroid issue right but they're still comparing themselves on how many calories they burn etc right so it has to come down to this bmr you know if we're talking about everything else is equal the thermic effect of feeding you're eating the same foods you're exercising the same, you know, you're, you know, doing the same steps, et cetera. You weigh the same. What's the difference, right? So at this point, Gary, do you have anything to add there? Because I have been rambling. I suppose one thing that's important to note, just because it's like you're speaking in percentages and just for the listener, like it goes without saying that those percentages vary depending on your absolute caloric expenditure. So for example, if you're a marathon runner <laughs> your exercise activity thermogenesis is going to be far greater than 20 to 30 percent or whatever you know um so that is going to vary considerably and there is a crossover as well um that that scales with increasing exercise volumes and intensities between your bmr and your exercise activity thermogenesis and the reason that's important is because what you'll often see is, you know, measurements in research studies, let's say, of the energy expenditure um, of a given exercise modality, and maybe even the effect of that on metabolic rate for the 30 minutes or two hours after or something along those lines. And what you will find is that you, do, if you do a ridiculously hard session, now I'm talking about a session that just absolutely crushes you and wipes you out. If you look at your heart rate for the rest of the day, even when you're doing very basic tasks or you're at rest, it's generally much higher. So you're in more of a hyper metabolic state, you know, um, and that's just at rest. It's just basal activities. It's nothing special. Your heart rate's beating much faster. You might still find that you're sweating, struggling to regulate temperature, etc. And that's basically elevating your BMR to some degree beyond the exercise session itself. Um, and that's something that, again, as I say, it scales, like it might not be relevant at all 
for many trainees. But if you're someone who's doing very, very high exercise volumes and working very hard during those exercise periods, it certainly does uh, bump up that, that BMR further uh, than would just be accounted for by the amount of lean mass that you have. So um, I think that's something to, to take note of as well. Yeah. And there is, we are going to do a podcast on this and, you know, the constrained energy model, all that yeah. kind of stuff. So there are other things that we're not going to cover in this podcast. Cause again, it just gets out of hand then if we try to recover everything, cause there's entire, you know, research studies on this stuff, fields of research on this stuff. There's entire books dedicated to this stuff, like in an hour or so podcast, you're not going to cover everything. Right. But I a hundred percent agree with Gary. Like I'm giving these rough numbers saying like, you know, well, it's just 20 to 30%. When in reality, like, look, fuck, you can go out for a run and, and that run is lasting 12 hours you know it's like do you genuinely think that's the same as going for your run for two hours uh, no obviously it's not right um so that has to be taken into account right but if we try to correlate everything you know just talk about an, an average person your normal person they're doing their four training sessions per week you know weight is the same blah 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 what's accounting for the difference right if we say again food is the same exercise and meat are the same clearly the only thing left is the bmr right so what goes into making differences in this basal metabolic rate right because there are actually quite a lot of things right however the one big thing and gary actually just noted it just there he just said it and the like well first of all look there most of the differences are generally explained by activity right that's just generally it right the most of the activity or most of the differences it comes down to an activity thing like you might think you're doing the same activity as them but like gary said there you know, you have a training session that you fucking bust your ass in. That's not the same as a training session where you just tick the boxes, right? So that's that in and of itself, it needs to be taken into account, right? And like, obviously, look, we enjoy our training. That doesn't mean that we're advocating saying you need to train like a fucking lunatic uh, demon every single session. Don't, don't take it as that, you know? We're just saying that there clearly is a difference there right and like ideally you would plan that stuff you would have it strategically in your overall timeline etc and but you might notice this you might sometimes it might occur for you in terms of you know you have a really really fucking hard session doesn't have to be like huge volumes it can also be just like really neurologically demanding you know again like gary said like things like you know heart rate it's hard to to regulate that again your body temperature it's hard to regulate that like you see people like they literally have a really fucking hard session and then they're outside the gym and they're still sweating like they had a shower they're still sweating you know like stuff like that it's like that's clearly different than someone that you know just tick the box right um and that obviously is impacting on your basal metabolic rate, which we'll come back to in a second, because when we go back to that initial you know, explanation or definition, if we're thinking about what happens there, it's like clearly something is happening to cause this. And again, if it's just the enzymes, the, the metabolic processes that you've upregulated, like you go back to the, like, it's like, what did it say? Uh, material substance is produced, maintained and destroyed. Like you've effectively done all of those things with a hard training session. Like you've upregulated all this, like, you know, protein synthesis. You try to maintain the structures that you have. Like you just put them under a huge amount of stress. So just to maintain your body has to, you know, put forth a lot of energy. And then obviously some things need to be destroyed. Like you've just, I don't know, done some really slow eccentric exercises that get you into this like real deep lengthened range. It's like, you know, some of those muscle proteins are now fucking damaged and they need to be destroyed and you need to, you know, you know, whatever. Right. Um, so that is obviously being impacted. That is 
that should go without saying a lot of this is just activity and that's unfortunately it right and this is i say it's unfortunately it because a lot of people look at influencers like fitness influencers and they're like oh this person is 70 kilos 80 kilos whatever so am i and they train four times per week i train four times per week how come we're not on the same calories how come we don't have the same physique etc and you look at it and it's like yeah, well, you actually also have a nine to six job. Like they literally fucking sit my ties on the beach in Bali. You know, it's like you're not the same person. You don't have the same activity levels outside this. And while they're saying they get 10,000 steps, it's like, yeah, that's not including the swim that they went for in the morning in their pool. You know, it's not including all the other stuff, you know, the dancing maybe they did at night or whatever the fuck it is. It's like, whereas you just like go to work, come back from work, go to the gym. It's like, it's not the same, right? Um, but let's assume we do get all that. We we match all that somehow we're literally living together people exact same and there's still a difference right what is that difference right and in most people about again i'm giving percentages here these are just you know rough percentages but 80 percent of the difference is accounted for by lean mass right and that's you know that's been studied right in terms of like there's studies out there that's like oh well why is there this difference and it's about 80 percent predicted by lean mass right so what i mean by that is like you might say you're 80 kilos the other person might be 80 kilos but the other person with the faster metabolism they're like you know five percent body fat and you're 20 percent body fat right so they clearly have a difference in the amount of lean mass that they have versus what you have right and why does this matter well lean mass like muscle you know all that kind of tissue as well like that has a, a higher energetic cost than fat right so fat tissue has a lower metabolic cost like it costs less energy to maintain fat because again think about it like evolutionarily why would you create a storage system fat is a storage system now obviously we've touched on podcasts in the obesity series that say that you know fat is way more than just a storage system so don't think i'm just saying it's only that and um, but if it's just a storage system like why would you create a storage system that requires a lot of energy to maintain you know, like that's just not smart. So evolutionarily, you know, we have evolved to create a storage system and evolve that storage system to require very little energetic input to maintain, right? So it's a metabolically slower tissue. It requires less energy to maintain it, to keep it there, to do whatever. Whereas muscle, it's a more metabolically active tissue. It requires more to sustain it. Like you don't see people say, oh, I didn't exercise for the week. Um, I'm like, you see people say, I should say, you see people say, oh, I haven't exercised for the week or, you know, two weeks. I'm really scared of muscle loss. You know, like I think my muscle is going to, you know, spontaneously you know, leave my body, right? Because you're like, I'm not active, right? But you don't say that about fat. You don't say like, oh, I think I haven't, you know, been exercising. And so my fat is just going to leave my body, right? Like you don't think that, right? So you already inherently know that it requires some energy. It requires some inputs to maintain this muscle, whereas it doesn't require that much to maintain your fat, right? And especially in the world that we live in, this hypercaloric world, it's very easy to maintain your fat stores, <laughs> right? So the, the key difference for the vast majority of people is just lean mass, right? So that's what we actually have to correlate for. So if you ever are trying to do a comparison of metabolisms, the thing you need to look at is what's your lean mass? What is the percentage of your body that is you know, lean mass? And this is bone. This is, you know, even water to some extent, like it is counted as lean mass, even though, you know, ideally we wouldn't count it as lean mass. Um, but like, you know, bone, muscle, connective tissue, organs, all that kind of stuff, right? Versus fat mass, 
right? Fat mass is just a lower metabolic active, lower metabolically active tissue, right? Now, there are obviously differences, as we've talked about previously, about different types of fat. Like, say, for example, you have brown or beige fat, like they are different you know, tissues and they do have different metabolic requirements, contributions, etc. Um, but again, we're just talking about the, the average here, right? So on that, Gary, do you have anything to say? Because I think a lot of people don't really realize just how much that lean mass actually has to play in this. And maybe you can say something on, you know, why lean mass would be so different. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's there's probably two sides to this. I think one, like you say, most people probably don't think of lean mass as being particularly important for the metabolic rate. And then there's other people who probably blow it way out of proportion. You often see that in the bodybuilding world. Um, you know, oh, once you gain a bit of muscle, like you'll burn so many more calories. Like it's not that significant either. Certainly makes a difference, but you know, in terms of a single individual making progress with their muscle and, you know, adding on a kilo of muscle over the space of two years or whatever, like that's relatively insignificant. But when you look at the difference between two people and one person has 20 kilos more lean mass to use an, an exaggerated example, clearly that's a significant difference. So inter-individual differences here are more um, important at a given point in time or even over short periods of time. Um, whereas if you're looking at intra-individual differences, so differences in your own metabolism over time, uh, you'd want to be gaining quite a bit of muscle for it to be making a significant difference. Um, just just and, on that as well, yeah. like people kind of forget as well that a lot of the energy expenditure is not just in the like maintenance of that lean tissue mm -hmm. it's in the actual accrual of that lean tissue yeah. so if you're trying to gain 10 kilos you know it's not the fact that you want to gain those 10 kilos like obviously you fucking do you know to have a, a faster metabolism you also want to get the metabolic benefits of laying down those proteins recovering that muscle all that kind of stuff because all of that other stuff also boosts your metabolism you know and this is why again you talk about bodybuilders like they often quote they're like oh man if you have you know 10 kilos of extra muscle like your metabolism is going to be so much more you know on fire but then you look at like research and it's like you know an extra kilo of muscle is like you know 50 extra calories on your metabolism like it's so fucking insignificant you know however you kind of have to look at the in-between point to gain 10 kilos of muscle it's like that requires a huge amount of energy and all of that time goes towards your metabolism as well you know all that like protein approval breakdown etc yeah, and I think this is something that people probably don't appreciate when it comes to um, very large, strong individuals. Because, like, if you think about someone doing a set of three hundred kilo squats for ten reps, okay, someone ridiculously strong. Oh, warm up. Oh yeah, easy warm up. Three hundred kilos, ten reps. Like that is so energetically costly. Like that's like that. Someone doing a set of ten at two hundred kilos is far more energetically costly than someone doing 60 kilos by 10 reps, okay? So it's not just the workouts. So that's another thing that's really important here is you can't just say, oh, well, we both work out four days a week or we both um, train really hard because yes, you might be training really hard, but by virtue of getting so ridiculously strong, you're now doing far more work and that all comes back and ties into energy demands and that goes back to calories so ultimately as you get and this is kind of one of the the, the points of, of kind of conflict confliction here which we will will be discussing our points of conflict 
is we we've already mentioned or we we will be mentioning the fact that when you get fitter one of the things that happens is your heart rate is generally lower at rest for example but generally as well if i have a low resting heart rate and i've been training doing lots of running i can go out and do a 20k run and be able to recover from that and not be too much of a big deal and maintain my other activities whereas if you as someone with a resting heart rate of 70 beats per minute tries to go and do that you won't be able to do that so the differences end up you know it's not clearly in one direction Uh, but that's something that's really important just to remember that as you as you get stronger and as you say as you pursue the accrual of that additional muscle tissue it's not just the additional muscle that's sitting there like a metabolic furnace it's the work that's been done to get there and also the extra capacity for work that you now have that is going to increase overall um, metabolic requirements 100 right so that's you know that's the, the majority of it the lean mass and the actual trying to accrue that lean mass like and genuinely like we could stop the podcast here and say that's that's what is the, the thing going on for the vast majority of people. However, obviously we're not going to stop the podcast here because there are a few other nuances. Like, as I said, like that's accounts for generic general 80%. That's all right. So there clearly is a 20% extra going on here. There's something going on. What is that something, you know, now obviously look, we're not going to cover every single nuance here, you know, and some of these things contribute more, some contribute less, and that's just the way it is you know um but look let's just go through them because i think this is a good if you understand these you start to think about metabolism a little bit differently you start to understand metabolism a bit better overall and it obviously helps you then you know have a better understanding and thus hopefully better practices right so the first thing that influences metabolism is just straight up genetics right like i don't have the same enzyme machinery that you have gary right? Like, yeah, we have the same like class of enzymes or the same, whatever, but like I could have mutations, like single point mutation, like single nucleotide polymorphisms that, you know, make mine 30% less efficient than yours. Just some random enzyme in my body. Right. Or maybe it's 200% uh, efficiency in terms of its energetic cost. It's just like really efficient. Right. It doesn't really require that much energy. Right. So we all have differences. Like we are all genetically different, right. Even between your brother and your sister and your whatever, like your siblings, you are all different, right? And obviously you're different than your parents and like you're 50-50 of each, but it's not the same 50-50 that your sibling got or whatever. So there's there's differences unless you are literally a, a twin, like a fraternal twin, you're not the same as another individual. So even if you were to get your absolute doppelganger, you know, like someone that looks spitting image of you, right? Same age as you, same, whatever, same weight, got your doppelganger. You're like, Jesus, like these people, this person over here, they look identical to me. And they would still have differences in their like basal metabolic rate because they're not actually identical to you. Right. So I don't think we need to go too much into that. Cause I think if anyone has any fundamental understanding of genetics, they can appreciate that there's just differences. And those differences potentially lead to a difference in metabolism now obviously there are differences in like some key ones in terms of like thyroid output which we'll touch on in a second like that are going to lead to big differences they lead to differences in your overall lean mass they lead to differences in your you know just resting metabolic rate um but i think people can also appreciate that you know sometimes that isn't genetically driven so you know that's that's different right but genetics do you have anything to say on that uh no far away all right so then the next one we'll, we'll put these in i 
put these two together, uh, these are food selection and micronutrient status, right? And these are some things that you don't necessarily put together uh, in terms of metabolism. Like obviously you do, because you're thinking about food, you're thinking about metabolism, right? But these things actually do influence your, your overall metabolism in, in a variety of ways. And again, it goes down to like both the process of building muscle, for example, like we go to food selection, like people often think about protein in terms of like the thermic effect of feeding, right? So protein intake obviously has a higher, I should say, obviously protein has a higher um, energetic cost to break it down, to assimilate it, to do all that kind of stuff, like transamination, et cetera. Right. And so to, to get the energy from the protein, if you were to burn it, you know, it requires more energy right? And um, from your own body. So it has a higher thermic effect of feeding. And this is oftentimes why you'll see people like they go from a typical Western diet or a typical diet or a vegetarian diet or whatever. And then they go to a, like a higher protein diet. All of a sudden they start saying, they're like, geez, I'm actually, you know, quite a bit warmer these days, or I started sweating more. And, you know, they, they, they notice the, the, the heat change, right? Because there is a difference in their overall metabolism, right? And um, people are aware of that. But again, think about it a little bit deeper in terms of if we're looking only at the basal metabolic rate, like if you don't have the, the substrates to actually build the muscle, to accrue the muscle, to you know get those differences in lean mass, like that's going to be different than someone that has those, right? Your, your metabolism is going to be different, right? Because your body, if you don't have them, is going to potentially require more energy to, you know, maybe they're not an essential amino acid. Maybe there's some other amino acid that you just haven't been uh, supplying. Now your body has to do uh, some process, you know, whatever, move some amino acids or uh, fucking nitrogens around carbons around, et cetera, uh, to make that amino acid that you're missing. Right. So that all requires energy. Right. So if you have this like semi-deficient diet in, in terms of like specific amino acids that aren't you know, essential amino acids, you potentially are increasing your metabolic rate, like your basal metabolic rate, like that would just fall under your basal metabolic rate. Right. But also if you were to supply it with stuff, you know, how much easier is it to build the, the, the protein that you want to build in terms of like, you know, lean mass in terms of like muscle, for example, like there, there is clearly a difference there as well. Right. In terms of the, the energetics of it, if you were someone that doesn't have the bricks or they have to go out and, you know, mold the bricks themselves, like this amino acid deficient state versus this other individual that has exactly what they need. They're really, you know, they're, they're all right there for them. They can build a lot higher. Like which one of those requires more energy, right? If you were in those two situations trying to build a house, it's like, you know, they, they all have different energetic costs. And as I went back to that initially, when I said, it, I was like, yeah, you think you're eating the exact same as someone else. And you might be like, oh, my macros are the exact same, but are they really, are they really the exact same? Probably not, right? They might be the exact same on paper or using your app, but the actual foods are going to be different. And as a result, like the different things in those foods are going to be different, right? Not just the, the actual macronutrients, right? And then further to this is like micronutrient status, because obviously this is the stuff in the food as well. And a lot of those micronutrients go into energy metabolism. And the, the classic one is obviously the B vitamins, you know, in terms of everyone always thinks of like, oh, B vitamins, they give you energy because they're involved in, these metabolic processes, metabolism, and um, like they're usually involved in like one carbon metabolism or whatever, right? They're, they're, they're needed for different parts of breaking down protein, you know, building up carbohydrate, building up carbohydrates, you know, building up whatever it is, right? So the micronutrients also play a role. And again, you think you are the exact same as someone else, but in reality, it's like, no, you are deficient in zinc. And as a result, your enzymes aren't working on efficiency at the efficiency that they should because they're zinc dependent enzymes, you know, whereas they have a, 
zinc plentiful diet, right? And you think, oh, I'm eating the exact same foods or I'm eating the exact same macros. They're not really, right? Same again, like magnesium, like you need magnesium to move ATP around the body. Like you could be magnesium deficient, whereas this other individual, just based on the water that they drink, like their water still has magnesium in it. It hasn't been stripped away. It's like, you know, spring water or whatever. As like, you think you're getting the exact same. You're like, oh, well, I drink four liters. They drink four liters. We're the exact same. When in reality, it's not, right? And another one, again, like iodine is the classic one because it affects your thyroid. Like obviously, again, that's going to be, or if maybe you have a diet that's high in like goitrogens or whatever, right? Like all of these things, they do actually matter, right? They do actually affect your metabolism. Now, how much? Who the fuck knows, right? In your individual case, because this is where it starts intersecting with your genetics, your genetic predisposition to you already have this, you know, lower deficiency enzyme and now you're zinc deficient or whatever other uh, mineral deficient or micronutrient deficient. And now that enzyme is even less efficient and, you know, it requires less energy to put into it. But in some cases, maybe they require more energy. So as a result, your metabolism is higher. You know, it's like all of these things, it's like, it's so impossible to tell, like for me to give you a number right now. Um, and it would be on a case by case basis. And even then it would be so hard to give you that concrete number because already, again, we're going back to it. Like if 80% of this basal metabolic rate is being predicted by lean mass, right? Realistically, who cares about that last one? Right. Because it's, it's uh, 20% of like 60%. I don't know what that fucking number is. 12% overall of your, your general metabolism. Right. And so it's a a relatively small contribution overall. So people are just like, like researchers just like, this is not the the big hitter. Like this is not something that I'm going to focus on to try to tackle obesity or something. It's like, no, we want to just increase lean mass. That's going to be a way bigger hitter. Right. Do you have anything to say on that Gary? Now that you're drinking water. No, sir. I actually don't. You've covered it very comprehensively fantastic right the next one then is obviously fairly intuitive and well i would hope obviously um, and this is recovery status right and i'm going to lump in injury status into this as well right so obviously if you are more recovered like what does that actually mean like well you will use it in the context of like resistance training like if you're more recovered like that would mean that you have already gone through a process of anabolism you've already built up whatever proteins whatever muscle whatever and that you've needed to build up to become recovered again like you know you do your training session it's disruptive to your body you then have to recover from it you get back to being recovered that's required a lot of energy right and obviously if you're in a uh uh, a situation where you haven't ever really dug into your recovery, you know, you're always been recovered. Like you've never been like, Oh, I'm have no muscle soreness ever. You know, I am never really tired ever. You know, it's like your recovery status might be the same as someone else. Who's like, Oh yeah, I'm recovered. I have a 10 out of 10 recovery, but the process of getting to there, like they've consistently gone down to six out of 10 recovery and gone back up to 10, you know, with their, their training plan. Whereas you've just stayed at 10 because you've never actually put a demand on it. Right. So there are obviously differences there overall. Um, and then obviously injury status, I think this one should be obvious enough. Like if you are, you know, have a broken bone or something, right? Like it's obviously going to require more energy. I say obviously, but it, it's actually not obvious because a lot of people will, you know, have an injury, break a bone, tear a muscle, strain a muscle, do whatever. And they'll be like, oh, I was eating at maintenance or I was eating in a surplus or I was doing whatever. Should I continue doing that because I'm not active now? I have to take a week off. When in reality, it's like, you know, you probably are spending quite a lot of calories towards recovering that muscle, that bone break, whatever it is, you know, it's like, 
Now, maybe we do need to adjust them because, you know, your activity has dropped a huge amount. However, it's not as simple as saying like, oh, I'm sidelined now because of an injury. It's time to diet. Because a lot of people do actually have that thought process of like, oh, I'll just drop calories now. I'll lose some fat because I'm going to be bed bound. I might as well, you know, drop down calories as low as possible. When in reality, like that is a metabolic process that requires energy to repair that bone. You know, would you say, oh, I'm going to just drop calories now that I've had this really hard session? obviously you wouldn't. So why would you do it in this case? You know, do you have anything to say on that, Gary, seeing as you are our injury expert at triage? Yeah. So, so, I mean, I guess it's just important to note that obviously the extent that your metabolic processes that are going to be increased is going to be relative to the injury. Okay. So if you have a, a very slight ankle sprain, you know, and yeah, you tweak the little ligaments, like it's probably not, a call for, oh, I need to bump my calories up by a thousand. <laughs> you know, there might actually be a significant increase initially when there's lots of inflammation and swelling and stuff. But overall, like that's not going to make a huge difference. But if you have like a massive muscle tear or something, or a more obvious example is post-surgery, uh, where there's like lots of wound healing that needs to take place. Or if you've gotten uh, burns are a good example. If you get burns, it's a very hypermetabolic state. So basically, you be, there's just a spectrum there of when there is healing required and there's going to be more energy required for that process to take place. So you should be thinking about that in terms of the specific injury that you have. So if you have a fully ruptured hamstring that you then have to go in and have surgery for not the time to be dieting. Okay. If you tweak something in your finger, okay, you don't need to have a refeed for that, you know? So think about what the specific injury is, obviously. hundred percent. Um, and this is also like, again, a lot of this is common sense once you've kind of realized what metabolism is, but a lot of it is not common sense in terms of it's not common because a lot of people don't realize and understand what metabolism actually is, you know? Um, but anyway, look, we'll move on to the next one, um, which is, we'll call this resting heart rate. Um, and there's another part of this is, which is like stress levels, right? Cause they kind of go hand in hand to an extent and also hand in hand with the next one, which is, you know, training status, but we'll get into that. Right. And um, so your resting heart rate, Gary already touched on it earlier on. And this is one of those things where it's like, you know, do you genuinely think someone with a resting heart rate of 90, you know, like sit there, like the two of us are just sitting here. Imagine my heart was beating at 90 beats per minute and Gary's heart was at like, you know, 45 beats per minute, you know? So it's literally half. Do you think we're burning the same calories at rest? Obviously fucking not, right? Like my heart's going fucking literally 90, whereas his heart's going 45, right? So there is an energetic cost to that, right? And this is why stuff like, you know, caffeine and stimulants is one of the reasons why they help with weight loss because they're effectively speeding up your metabolism because they are increasing, you know, we'll call it sympathetic drive, which is why I lumped stress into this as well. They're increasing that sympathetic drive. They're getting you into this kind of more fight or flight uh, state, which has all these other peripheral benefits and whatever towards fat loss. But just in terms of a pure calorie perspective, like you are more fidgety, you're more jittery. You are, you know, the actual processes that, you know, aren't as evident Like you could be sitting, we could both be sitting here not moving around, but my body at literal rest is doing more because I have this caffeine in my system. You know, again, the heart rate is elevated, you know, blood pressure is changes, etc. right? So the actual processes, the chemical processes are different, right? When you start introducing like caffeine stimulants, like, especially if you're on like, you know, 
more powerful stimulants like Ritalin, Adderall, you know, whatever, right? Like there, there obviously is a difference in your overall metabolism there. And that might translate into stuff like, you know, you're moving more, you know, you're again, like the, the other stuff changes your eat and your neat. Like, and you might have more output in your training. You might just fidget around more, whatever, but even just at rest, there could be a huge difference. And again, the heart rate one is the, the easiest one to see because you can just measure on your watch or whatever. It's like, oh, my heart rate is 70 versus my heart rate is 35. Like I know when you're dieting, Gary, your heart rate goes down to, you know, death levels. And yeah. so it's like that, that there's clearly a difference there, which it's really quite interesting. Because, and we've touched on this before where people say like, oh, your metabolism is, you know, if you're a trained individual, this individual who finds it really easy, relatively speaking, to diet, they stay lean. Someone would say they have a fast metabolism when in reality, like, Gary, when you're probably at your leanest, like your metabolism is at a fucking crawl, you know, yeah. it's like, the, like, it's the exact opposite. Like you might be again, correlating for lean mass, but you have to take into account that, and we'll touch on this in another podcast on adaptive metabolisms and stuff. Um, but like his metabolism has effectively slowed. And one of the ways you would see this is his heart rate goes down. Right. And it's not as intuitive as you would think initially, because what can often happen is, you know, like some people like myself included to an extent, like when they diet down, their heart rate stays slightly elevated. Right. But then when they start, they transition to like a maintenance calorie level, their heart rate drops. Right. And this is because they reduce some of the stress around dieting, like to get lowered, like catecholamines, lowered cortisol, which they both help to an extent with like fat mobilization, with, you know, the overall requirements for, a dieting, you know, a diet to be successful in terms of a fat loss diet to be successful. Um, so it's not, it's not perfectly linear in terms of like, Oh, just lose weight and, you know, diet down and your heart rate will, you know, drop. And all of a sudden, you know, your metabolism will slow. That's not really the case, the, the case all the time. And um, there is a little bit more to it. Um, and a lot of this also is mediated by stress levels because, you know, this interacts with your nervous system, which again, is part of, your overall metabolism it requires energy and so if you are really really stressed and you have this high like nervous system output like cortisol secretion through the roof and like that is obviously more energetically demanding than someone who isn't stressed you know and this is this is one that you often see um in like i don't know stressed uh like business type workers you know where they're like in their their higher mid-management roles and they're really stressed and all of a sudden they're like oh man i just really want uh more food right like their body is secreting all these different you know chemicals and whatever that are mobilizing fat they're like oh we're basically in this kind of fight or flight so they want to self-medicate with some food to kind of you know, account for this extra energy exposure right and again you'll see this as well like uh, especially if you've ever done any uh single individual sports right it's a little bit different with team sports because you can always kind of like you know fall back on the team right but if you're in an individual sport like say a combat sport like i know myself and gary we've both competed in like combat sports so like in that case especially if it's like a, a higher level you know it's like oh like you're 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 actually good at your sport <laughs> um like if, if you're at that level uh yeah you're at you're out Gary. um but if you're actually good at your sport like it's like it, it means more and especially if it's an individual thing like it it has more like we'll call it nervous system output because you, that's all on you like you have to do you have to compete and you're way more stressed you're way more kind of agitated and then you you notice if you've ever done this yourself like the next even after the fight or whatever it is um or the next day and you are drained 
right? Way more than you would be drained, like even playing like a, I don't know, a championship game of like soccer or whatever, you know? It's like, yeah, you did 90 minutes versus you did 15 minutes um, in like 90 minutes on the pitch versus 15 minutes in the ring or whatever. It's like, yeah, but the, the difference in terms of the nervous system output, in terms of the whole like stress situation, completely different, right? So you might look at that and say like, oh, well, you had like a, some sort of energy tracker on you when you did the, the fucking 15 minute fight overall and you only burnt, we'll say 200, 300 calories, whatever. Whereas when you were on the pitch for 90 minutes, you burned, let's say 900 calories. So just fucking go out there. Like you're like, you're running around loads, you know? And it's like, there's a complete like tripling of the, the, the caloric burn between these two. However, you might be way more fatigued. You might have actually burned through way more calories with the shorter session because it is more stressful because there's all these other metabolic processes that go on. And while the, 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 uh, the eat or not, yeah, the eat, the exercise activity thermogenesis is, you know, on paper different. And in reality, when you account for all the other stuff that goes on, like the resting heart rate stayed elevated for the, the lead up to the fight, or, you know, you couldn't sleep the night before because it was so like on your mind the day after you were still really stressed. And like, there's, there are differences there. Right. And again, you might look at those two individuals and go, Oh, well, this individual only burnt 300 calories versus this individual burnt 900 calories this individual that burnt 900 calories is going to lose more fat or whatever, right? When in reality, yeah, it's not as clear cut as that, right? Do you have anything to add to that, Gary, in terms of resting heart rate and stress levels? No, that's all good. Fantastic. This is, it sounds like you just keep saying, fucking, that's all good. And I'm just going to fucking keep talking shit. Well, when you're doing a good job, you know, I won't be wasting a word. Fantastic. Very economical of you. Yes, sir. Then the next one is training status. Like, when did you train? that obviously impacts it. Like, again, as I said earlier on, like if you train and you've you know, broken down like proteins, you've damaged muscles, you've done whatever, like that all requires, you know, energy, right? So this is why, again, people who train, they're generally warmer than individuals who don't train, right? And you might not know this because, you know, you maybe you don't train yourself or maybe all the people around you train, but you might not notice that like you could be standing out as an individual who trains, you could be standing out in weather that's like, you know, five degrees out and you're like, oh, it's, it's nice and warm versus the other individual over there who doesn't train same weight as you, same muscle mass, which, you know, probably not the same muscle mass if they don't train. And, um, but they might be like, man, it's fucking freezing. You know, like there is clearly a difference here. And I always use heat as the one, because again, we're talking, we're talking about thermogenesis. And one of the things about energy is, you know, a lot of it is lost as heat to the universe, right? Because again, going back to that fucking rant I did, that's what the universe wants, right? Um, so when you trained, obviously impacts on it. If you're training every single day, your metabolism is going to be different. Your basal metabolic rate is going to be different than someone who doesn't train just because there's so much more repair going on. There's so much more, you know, metabolic processes going on, right? But further to this, it's like how you trained also impacts it again, an easy one because people always use it is like the difference between like say uh sprint sessions versus like you know long endurance cardio sessions you know someone will be like oh well with sprint sessions or even resistance training you get this kind of like epoch you know what is it excessive post oxygen consumption whatever the fuck it is right um so it's like oh you burn more calories trying to recover this oxygen death that you 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 know achieved during these higher intensity sprints or this resistance training to an extent versus you know once you stop training for your you know aerobic session your long endurance session like you stop burning calories then 
right? Now that's not exactly true. And obviously the, the extent of that is way overblown just by people trying to sell you something. And like, again, we're talking like minimal calories overall, and there is a difference, but again, minimal. Um, and it's also far easier to burn calories doing a low intensity session. Well, yeah, it requires more time. It's generally not as hard on the old body, right? So that is one thing to consider that, how you trained does actually change things, you know, in terms of like, if you do a resistance training session versus, uh, you know, a run, they're, they're going to have different demands, different metabolic demands during the session, but then also to recover from the session, you know, like for your resistance training, you might have to recover a lot of, again, protein. You might have to be anabolic, build a lot of protein during the uh, aerobic session. Like you might get some, you know, protein breakdown in, we'll say the calves or something, you know, it's like your, your lower limb, they, there's a bit of stuff that needs to be recovered there, you know, especially with me because there's nothing there. Um, mm-hmm. so like that might be the case for you, but there are other things as well, like, you know, change with aerobic training in terms of like mitochondria, like you do get mitochondrial biogenesis. So you are still, you still have like, we'll call it muscle protein synthesis, even though it is actually occurring in the mitochondria, you know? So it's like, there are still metabolic processes that require energy after the fact. So the fact that you have trained is still boosting your metabolism, your basal metabolic rate overall. Right. And there's a lot of stuff that actually goes into this, which is really, really fucking interesting because look, if you're doing an aerobic session and this has the benefit of, you know, reducing your resting heart rate, which is really beneficial for life expectancy, that might also have a side effect of reducing your uh, metabolism in terms of now you burn less calories, just laying there, you know? So it's like, there are like effects and side effects that aren't as intuitive and aren't as obvious initially and, and again it's all about these different trade-offs right which you know again you might not think it's a huge thing but it could be like for an individual to go from like resting heart rate of 90 to a resting heart rate of 40 they're just really very well trained now it's like that's actually a relatively large difference and that could actually translate into something that's meaningful in terms of the actual calories they're able to maintain their body weight at you know and this is especially the case like i, I going to predict it now that a lot of people that have been training over this like whole COVID lockdown now that they're fitter especially if they've been doing more runs and more aerobic work like they're probably going to find that their diet is a little bit different in terms of uh, maintenance calories etc once they go back to what they were previously doing right but that it remains to be seen right but as I was saying there are some really interesting things at the mitochondrial level but before I get on to that Gary do you have anything to say about like training status yeah I suppose just something very basic is the fact that like you mentioned, let's say the rebuilding of muscle proteins, but even just replenishing energy stores is an energetic process. Like for example, if you're taking carbohydrates in your diet, you know, it sounds, it sounds very simple when people say, oh, to replenish muscle glycogen, but it's not like those carbohydrates just flow down through your gut into your bloodstream and into your muscles, you know, by diffusion, you know, that's not what happens for your body to make that decision that, we're not going to use this. We're actually going to invest this, this energy and, you know, put it away for now. There's so many different steps involved, all of which are contingent upon energy status. And if you pick up a very basic biochemistry textbook, you'll see the little uh, green plus signs and the negative minus signs. And generally what they're indicating is the fact that the metabolic pathways responsible for anabolism, or let's say putting together a glycogen chain to store it away in your muscle, that's all dependent on um, energy status. It's generally going to tell you that, okay, if we've got, you know, ATP available, if we've got higher levels of insulin, all these markers of higher energy status, 
then we're going to go ahead with this metabolic process. If that's not the case, we're not doing that. So ultimately, all of those storage processes, um, which might seem very basic and can seem when people talk about them as if they just occur automatically, they require you to have that extra energy. So again, um, they're metabolically demanding as a result. 100%. And again, it goes back to that initial like definition of like, again, this, are we building? Are we maintaining? Are we destroying? Like all of those things, they require energy, you know, like it's not just again, Oh, your body just, you know, they, it just floats to the muscle and it's done. You know, it's like, no, your body has to invest energy into getting it where it needs to be. Right. Um, but anyway, back to the mitochondria, like there are some really interesting things in terms of like mitochondrial efficiency. And this could be like a genetic thing as well, but also it can be a trained thing, you know, and this is something that you don't necessarily think about. And I know we do because we really enjoy thinking about this stuff. <laughs> um, but like there are differences in terms of your overall mitochondrial efficiency. And a lot of this you know, can be influenced by dieting, for example. A lot of this can be influenced by your training. Um, but I'm not going to dig into it too much um, because it's kind of our trade secrets. You know yourself, Gary. You can't be letting everyone in on the, the old mm. secrets. Um, no, not, not because of that, just because it's it's there's there's a lot here. Um, but ultimately, like your mitochondria themselves, like the actual powerhouse of your cell, they can have differences in efficiency between individuals, right? And there's, again, a lot of factors that influence this, but it is something to consider because one individual with you know mitochondria working at 70% versus the other individual working at 100%, there's differences there. And again, that's not to say that that stays the same across your lifestyle or your life, I should say. Like that does change depending on, again, like Gary and his deepest steps of a diet, diet, if I could talk, like there's probably, you know, less proton leakage. And whereas, you know, I know for a fact that Gary, once he increases calories, like he fucking pisses out heat, you know, it's like, it just exudes. You know, so it's like there clearly are differences and that's just based on how he's changing his diet overall or what you know, kind of phase of his diet he's in. Um, so there are differences there. But then also, and this is a, a weird one, um, but I'm putting in this whole kind of training status as well. And this is like exercise efficiency, right? Like, and again, it's non-intuitive because the less efficient you are at training, the faster your metabolism, right? Like the more calories you're likely to waste, right? Which again is unintuitive because you would see someone over there who's, you know, buff guy, whatever, trains hard, has big muscles, stays lean. You would go, oh, has a fast metabolism. But you look at him in the gym and he literally looks like a fucking mechano set. It's just like a pneumatic, you know, up and down. Like there's no movement wasted. It's really just perfect movement, right? Like you might be saying, oh man, he's, you know, burning loads of calories in the gym doing that. And again, like obviously this goes back to the first discussion we had in terms of like, if he's obviously moving like 300 kilos, like there's an energetic demand of that. But again, assume weights are equal, et cetera. Um, An individual that is less efficient at movement, you know, there's a lot of wasted energy, like they're, they're moving the bar around on their back. The knees are shaking a bit and whatever. It's like, they have to stabilize a lot more. They're not as efficient with their movements. Like they are probably, they probably have a faster metabolism as a result because they're basically pissing away energy, just wasting energy, you know, like just moving around loads. And this is a little bit less, um, apparent in, you know, the resistance training side of things. But when you get to like the endurance side of things, it becomes really apparent because someone who has an exercise efficiency, like they're running, the running mechanics are just, their body was set up to run. There's no fucking wasted joint movement. You know, everything is just perfect for running, right? Like they were a bit like, you couldn't breed someone better for running, right? And they've really worked on their, their skill as well. They've really worked on their training as well. Like they probably burn so little calories 
doing that event, right? Like say, for example, like the calves, they're just fucking springs. Like you look at kangaroos, like why can kangaroos like travel such huge distances or rather, why did kangaroos evolve the way they did? And it's because they want to travel huge distances. So they have these fucking springs for effectively Achilles tendons, you know? So it's like, that's that's why they evolved like that. That's really efficient at movement, right? Um, whereas you as an individual, you might be fucking terrible at running. You know, your your knees knock, your your they collapse in, your ankles flick all over the place, you run like your shoulders are all over the place, your arms are flailing around, your your head doesn't do that, you know, stay stable thing that runners' heads do, you know. It's like it's you know, moving around, etc. You know, it's like you probably waste a fuckload of energy. Right. And that would all go towards this kind of, we'll call it the exercise activity thermogenesis because it's, you know, you're exercising, but it kind of is your basal metabolic rate because you're just inefficient at moving. Right. And there obviously is more to this in terms of um, like the nervous system coordination that requires energy and stuff. So it's not as perfect one-to-one relationship in terms of like, you know, the individual who is really efficient at moving, like they might require more energy because they're able to lift more usually but also they might just be really focused in terms of their nervous system is really focused on keeping everything perfect like their body wants to fucking move everywhere but they're actually just putting a lot of energy into keeping things stable so it's not exactly perfect but again it is something to be aware of that this stuff does actually influence how many calories you burn so again going back to that example of you comparing to this other individual that is training four times per week and you're like oh like we're similar strength levels etc how come they're able to eat more calories? It's like, yeah, well, okay, look, they they might be just really inefficient at moving and you're just really efficient at moving. You know, there's, there's differences there, you know? Yeah, and I mean, in the in the kind of weight training realm, like, again, as you say, it's like how it's, it's not that practically significant as in, I'm not going to tell my client to go and use terrible technique in the gym so that, so that they can uh, just burn more calories. But, but one of the things said, just, like, just on that, it's like one of the things it's like, this is actually really, it makes sense not, not to tell them to that, to do that, but people do stuff like this to make ch- training more challenging. Like for example, they'll add bands to thing and they'll make it like, you know, it's really hard to like shoulder press the bar and you have to like use all these extra stabilizer muscles and stuff. And it's like, yeah, like you can obviously see that like, you're trying to do that for more of a demand from that training. So like there are obviously uh, instances when you would potentially use that. But like you said, Gary, it's probably a fucking terrible strategy overall. Yeah, and I think the domain in which this is most clear is a skill-based sport like jiu-jitsu, let's say. I, like, you, all you have to do is go to one jiu-jitsu class to learn this. Um, because what you say, well, it, it applies to, as you know, Paddy, but like boxing, MMA, everything. Like efficiency is ridiculously important. Like in jiu-jitsu, if you're a, a white belt in your first class, um, like the kind of classic thing is that people just spaz out, you know, the people will go in and they'll hold on to you and they'll squeeze and everything is real forceful because there's no skill. They don't know where to put their hands. They don't know what to grab. They don't know, you know, what they're trying to stop. And as a result, it's, you seem to be describing my Brazilian jiu-jitsu game. Ah, uh, yes, yes, that's it. But it's just, and I, I say that I say this as a white belt. <laughs> um, it's just, it's just pure inefficiency. But as you, as you progress and as you improve your skills, you're like, oh, this is a more efficient way of doing that. This is a more efficient way of doing that. And suddenly, it's it's less energy intensive as a result. You know where to put your energy. Um, and that is again just just a pure example of efficiency in action. And efficiency, for the most part, 
is very desirable. The only places where people don't want to be efficient in terms of like, if we define it as using the least energy for the task is generally uh, bodybuilding pretty much um, and physique sports, because with hypertrophy training, you're generally not trying to move the weight the most efficient way. You're actually trying to move it in the way that puts the most tension on the muscle, which is less efficient than the standard, let's say powerlifting technique. And then when it comes to the fat loss side of things, obviously you're trying to uh, just accumulate work effectively <laughs> rather than achieve any specific performance target. Um, if, if you view them purely through that lens, which we generally don't advise, but anyway, Yes, 100%. Anyway, we'll move on from the exercise stuff because there's only a, a few little things to cover. And um, the next one then is like sex, right? And I don't mean like the actual act of having sex. I mean, well, we could talk about that, but that is energy intensive too. Yeah, exactly. Well, not for me. I'm just, you know, two pumps done. Uh, <laughs> but uh, sex itself, like not, not the actual act, like the actual, like, we'll say gender, if you will, like that kind of thing. Right. So sex and um, like, you might think that this has a, a huge impact because, you know, people always say like, oh, like guys have it so easy to, to lose fat versus women. And this is just not really the case in terms of metabolism, right? Like you have very similar metabolisms. The actual difference is lean mass, right? Like, again, going back to that, like, what's the, di the difference? It's lean mass. Now, obviously, like one of the sexually dimorphic characteristics of humans are differences in lean mass. So it's like, it's kind of being a, facetious of me to say that uh oh there are no sex differences when my body literally wants to add more muscle to me than if i was a female you know so it's like there like there, there clearly is a sex difference right in terms of if my my genetics had just been uh to make me a female like there would have been less lean mass on my body right so my metabolism would have been different right so there are clearly differences however a lot of the differences are just accounted by lean mass and if you had uh, a female that weighed 70 kilos of lean mass and a male at 70 kilos of lean mass they would have very similar metabolisms in terms of like that basal metabolic rate there are some differences in terms of like hormones which i'll, I'll touch on in a second and um, but the one thing that is probably more impactful is um, we'll call it fertility status. Um, because again, like this is a metabolically active process or a metabolically costly process, I should say. Like it requires energy to maintain your fertility. It requires energy to obviously, you know, like say for example, men, like you literally are creating sperm all the time, right? And this is one of the reasons why when you diet, like uh, your sperm count generally goes down, right? And this is again, not often talked about, but it's again, you think about it, you just have less energy to put towards that stuff. Now, again, that's a little bit, that's not, perfect one-to-one -one in terms of like oh i was in a 500 calorie deficit my sperm count went down like it might be a meaningless difference and it might actually be uh, an increase if you go from someone that's obese and has a low sperm count as a result and then you get into like a healthy range like your sperm count might go up however just thinking of it from a purely like energetic standpoint if you have less energy to go towards you know creating sperm it's going to require less or it's going to, you're going to have a lower metabolism overall. And again, this is one of the things where you start seeing that like bodybuilders who get really like competition level lean, like their hormonal status is just fucking tanks. Like their fertility status, just tanks, men, women, whatever in between, like it, it's, it, it, it's tanked, right? Like it's in the toilet, right? Because again, you don't have the energy to provide for that metabolically costly process, right? So we have to take that stuff into account when we are talking about 
metabolism. Like there are differences depending on your fertility status. And obviously, uh, one of these things that we should really talk about is like the female cycle, like the menstrual cycle, but then also other things that go on in terms of, you know, pregnancy for one and um, like menopause. And we could also touch about like the, the andropause, like the, the, the male equivalent of the, the menopause, which is a little bit less well-defined we'll say and a little bit less impactful we'll say as well on overall metabolism but there are clearly differences and like a a woman across her like just you know normal we'll call it you know quote unquote and normal um uh, menstrual cycle like there's going to be different times during that cycle where her metabolism is higher where it is lower and this is again mediated by those sex differences or sort of those sex hormones and and it's, it's not as perfect. It's not like I could say like, oh, this is going to be the exact way it changes by this much. Like it's going to be different for everyone, especially because like female reproduction is so um, complicated, I'm going to say. <laughs> so like there are differences. Again, we don't want to get into too deep into the weeds, but there are clearly differences here overall. Um, do you have anything to say on that, Gary? Nope. Fantastic. Then the final one here that I want to just touch on in terms of this hormone stuff is like just hormone status in and of itself. And right. Obviously, look, you can see the difference between someone who exogenously supplements, exogenously supplements with different hormones, whether it's growth hormone, testosterone, and um, thyroid hormone, whatever, right? Like there's clearly a difference in the, the the metabolism as a result of that. Now there are obviously differences, even if we are in a a healthy range, especially like, again, if we're talking about females, like differences in estrogen and progesterone in particular, like there are clearly differences um, across a cycle. Um, but even within a normal range, you know, it's, we're not below it, we're not above it, we're in this normal physiological range, there clearly is a difference in terms of the, their effects on metabolism. Now, how much impossible to say you know i can't say like oh this is your testosterone level and therefore you get an extra 100 calories or like this is your progesterone level uh, relative to your estrogen level that means you have to eat you know 500 extra calories like it's impossible to say however this stuff does obviously impact on you know your your metabolism right and again this is why you can't compare yourself to someone else right you know it's, it's going to be relatively meaningless across your life cycle in terms of you know the difference from month to month of your cycle it's not going to be like oh one month i was 500 calories over and my metabolism was revving the next one it was like oh i was only 300 the next one was 100 the next one was 600 like it's not going to be these huge swings like we're talking small changes month to month week to week whatever if you have like a a female cycle and again for males fucking again who the fuck knows (laughs) you know like it's not like this stuff is being well researched because again it goes back to that like this stuff is only accounting for a small 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 section of metabolism and it's not the big hitting stuff right even though i know in the general population we like to focus on this we're like oh my god it's because they have a thyroid thing and it's like first of all that's not diagnosed you can't say that and but then also it's like you know people like to have a different reason to say rather than to say, Oh, I just have a difference in my amount of lean mass. And they train harder than me or, you know, any of the other things that actually make the difference. Right. And do you have anything to say on the hormones, Gary? Nope. Fantastic. Then the final one, well, there's two more. And the final one here is health status in general. Right. And this could be cancer. We don't think of it often, but cancer is obviously a metabolically costly endeavor and like there's these cells that are just fucking proliferating i can never say that word and proliferating like mad and so that costs energy now again it's 
again, if I was to think about metabolism, I start thinking about differences in metabolism in terms of like, you know, the Warburg effect and whatever. Um, but it's still energy. That's what we're talking about here. You know, in terms of the energetic cost, who cares about the actual metabolic processes, like they still change and having a cancer, having a tumor is basically like having another organ, right? So like, imagine you just grew another heart, right? You would presume if you're talking about an individual that has two hearts versus someone that has one heart, you would go, oh, there's clearly a difference in metabolism there, right? So if you grew this other organ, you know, in terms of a cancer tumor, it's like there's clearly differences in metabolism there. Even if we go above and beyond just accounting for the lean mass changes, you know, it's like, you know, you've actually got this more lean mass, you know, you've got this kilo big tumor, you know, it's like we would expect some sort of metabolic cost for that. But especially if you get a tumor on some sort of, organ that already has a huge metabolic cost like i don't know fucking liver tumor or something it's like this is going to have a disproportionate effect on your metabolism and this is why well one of the reasons why like weight loss for example can be a side effect of having cancer or not a side effect i should say a symptom you know that would make more sense to say right like that's one of the reasons now obviously there's there's far more to that i'm not a cancer expert gary as far as i know you're not a cancer expert and um, so like there are more there is more to it right um but just health status in general, like if you have disease processes, you're ill, like you're sick, you know, that kind of stuff, like they all alter your basal metabolic rate. And that should be relatively intuitive. And again, it goes back to like, if you got injured, don't go on a diet. If you have a fucking cold or a fever or whatever, it's like, this is probably not the best time to go on a diet. Although they do say that, what's that? A uh, starve a cold, feed a fever, whatever. I can't remember the fucking saying. Um, but like stuff like that, it's like, you know, it's probably like, when your body is under more demand, it's probably not the best time to be like, oh, I think I'll just drop my fucking calories now, which a lot of people do because they're like, oh, I didn't go to the gym today. Just take a thousand calories off. And then all of a sudden, what should have been a day of being sick, sick turns into a week of being sick because they're not providing their body the energy it needs to fight the virus or whatever it is, right? Um, you know, obviously there is more to that in terms of like, you know, for, I don't know, fucking the cancer, for example, like weight loss might be something that you want to help with this, right? There obviously are disease processes that weight loss helps, you know? So it's like, that's, you need to talk to your doctor about that stuff. You know, don't just be like, oh, well, they said don't diet. Well, I have an illness, so I'm going to fucking eat a thousand calorie surplus. Like, that's also not what we're saying. <laughs> like, talk to your doctor. Um, do you have anything else to say on the health status stuff, seeing as you are a doctor? Well, you're not a doctor. Oh, yes. <laughs> but yeah, generally weight loss as a result of cancer, not good. Okay. And it's a very significant challenge, cancer related cachexia, because with weight loss, we often get the loss of muscle mass and that's not particularly desirable. Um, but yes, um, changes in metabolism can be the result of many, many different diseases. Obviously, hypo, hyperthyroidism are the ones that often stand out to people, but there's, uh, there's so many more, you know, one of the easiest things to do to illustrate this to yourself is regardless of the next illness you happen to have, I hope you never have any, I hope you're always well, but check your resting heart rate. You'll see that it's way up. And, and obviously um, fever is very clearly an energetically costly process and is often associated with um, many different types of illness. But similarly, on the other side of things, if you know, you're shivering all the time um, as part of that, um, if you got the chills and that, that is all energetically costly too. Um, 
so yeah, look, there's there's countless different examples. There's no point going through every system and telling you all the different things that could affect your metabolism. Um, like the easy examples are things like, let's say, uh, neuromuscular disorders, like some sort of neurological condition where you have like muscles that are constantly contracted. You know, there's myoclonic dystonia, there's different conditions like that very energetically costly um even you know other diseases that have spasticity as a feature in the muscles again like you have to be outputting energy to keep those muscles contracted all the time um so yeah look there's many different things that could be going on um and there's no point really going into all of them to be honest 100 and then the final final one is the environment and you kind of touched on one of them just there that could be a reason behind this like if you're in a cold environment and you're shivering constantly it's like you're all clearly your metabolic demands are different than if you're not shivering right and but also like you don't really necessarily think of it but if you are i don't know out in the sun like even if you're lazing out in the sun you know you're by the beach you know really you know mediterranean tropical whatever you're just really enjoying yourself lying on the beach it's like your body your body is still absorbing those ultraviolet rays it still has to deal with that stuff you know so that does actually change your metabolism like if you go out into the sun you might be like you come home from that day out in the sun you're like i'm fucking wrecked you know and you might be like i didn't change anything different look at my day still getting the same amount of steps you know and you're like why am i so tired it's because again you're environment is also interacting with you and you are getting things like again your skin has to deal with the the sun it got the ultraviolet rays have you know heat in the environment for example this is a common one heat in the environment has caused like a a vasodilation because your body is now trying to dissipate more heat to the environment this is why if you ever go to a sunny country and you go to the gym you're like man how come i'm so fucking pumped here you know you're just like I'll never get this pumped at home, you know? And in reality, it's because again, like all those blood vessels are trying to dissipate heat to the environment. So they are, you know, dilating more. So they have more surface area, right? So obviously all that stuff requires energy, right? There's going to be a difference, right? So if you go from, oh, I was training in the Sahara desert and it was really fucking warm. I was constantly doing that, blah, blah, blah. And then you go away to fucking Norway or something. Like you, your, your calories mightn't be, like they might be completely different, even though you're doing the exact same activities, you know? So it's like, it's, it's hard to fully quantify the effects of that, but it is something to be aware of, you know? Like, again, we don't think of it, like the one that I said at the start, the shivering in the cold, like obviously a lot of people think of that because it's like, oh, well, like, you know, it's a little bit more intuitive. You go out to the cold, you start shivering. You're like, oh, well, this is movement. So I'm clearly burning more calories. And, but so many other ones, it's like, you know, how the environment interacts with you. You don't really necessarily think about that, too much right and um, but you have anything to add on the environment guy before we wrap this up and if not wrap it up then no i'm happy to wrap it up there um, because my dinner awaits me and i would hate to uh let it go cold anyway as you know we do have coaching spaces available um, the gyms are opening in ireland shortly so we would recommend that if you're thinking of inquiring about coaching when the gyms reopen, it would probably be best to do so now. Um, and we will ensure that you have a spot reserved and that we get you sorted on time to get back in the gym. So that's exciting. The gyms in Northern Ireland are back open. The gyms in Scotland are back open. England back open again. Um, Wales, I don't know, but we don't have any clients from Wales currently. So that's why we don't know. We need to get that's on that uh, Welsh that's audience. They speak that whole P-Celtic language. We don't, we, don't, we don't fuck with that shit. We're a few, few Celtics out the way. You know yourself, Gary. 
Yeah, we have had a client even from the the Isle of Man. Like, so we've got everything else covered, but just whales. Yeah, I need to get I don't on. Know that. about whales? I think they might be Q-Celts as well, though, because they were they were they were Britons. They were Britonic language, as far as I know. But anyway, look, that's beside the point. Keep going, Gary. I'm just watching. anyway. Even if you are Welsh, we'll absolutely take you on as a triage client. Just get in touch, okay? We love the Welsh. <laughs> I was there once. Stayed in Tenby, beautiful spot. Um, well, drove straight through it and um, went to a Liverpool game. That was it. I can also see Wales from my house. Well. Liverpool game, Jesus. Liverpool. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, so if you're interested in coaching, guys, get in touch. If you're a coach yourself and you're interested in your education, subscribe to the Coach's Corner. If you're interested in keeping up with what we're doing, obviously follow Triage Method on Instagram and other platforms, including YouTube. Uh, then you can also um, follow us, Gary at Skinny Gaz, Paddy at The Real Paddy Farrell, and Brian at Brian O'Hengis. Uh, we all put out our own individual content. It's very beneficial and educational, if I may so say so myself. So, uh, yeah. Make sure you're following there. Um, we have a newsletter, Triage Method newsletter, which you can subscribe to down below. And the Triage Method community is also a Facebook group that you're welcome to join. And that is basically everything other than one final thing. And that is, if you enjoyed this podcast or any of our podcasts, make sure to share them on your Instagram story or other social media platform that you happen to frequent. And if you have the opportunity to leave a rating and review, that would also be fantastic. And if you have a question that you'd like us to answer in future episodes, you can fill out the form below. You can drop us an email or you can message any of us individually and we'll try to get it addressed. Fantastic. And I hope you all enjoy your week. Enjoy.